You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. Two possible MVP candidates got hurt. One big prospect got the call, and for the first time on this podcast, we're not interviewing someone, but instead answering questions from our viewers. Exciting stuff today, but before we get into that, John, how are you doing? What have you been up to recently? Yeah, uh, with the summer, it's baseball season, but honestly, with how the Twins bullpen is going right now, I've been trying to distract myself with all, all the other sports things that are going on. <laughs> There's been a lot in in my you know circle with you know a lot of NBA rumors and college football rumors and stuff like that but at the end of the day it's kind of hard to miss the twins bullpen giving up three losses to the cleveland guardians in hilarious fashion where we were leading in the eighth inning by two runs i think for like the past five games that we've given up so um yeah it's been great seeing the twins implode a little bit this week um (laughs) really hoping that we find some bullpen hope as the trade deadline comes up so that this doesn't happen. Yeah, the trade deadline is going to help a lot of teams, I think. There's a lot of relievers out there. I know the Mets need some, the Twins need some. There's a lot of people that could use some bullpen help. This trade deadline is going to bring a lot of different faces onto different teams. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. It's crazy to hear you say that the Twins have blown leads after being in the eighth up and ninth up. I feel like that was the Mets in 2015 when we lost the World Series. We were up for like 95% of the game and ended up losing the World Series. So I feel you on that. It's kind of funny when you look at, you know how ESPN has like the win probability graph? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just really funny looking at the the losses that the Twins have had because it's like up, 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 90%, 99%, and then immediately, nope, it's down to negative 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, just... I mean, I get it. Baseball is a difficult sport, but, you know, these guys are being paid millions to throw strikes and they they just can't right now. Yeah, I actually saw a stat when I was watching the Twins Guardian game on TV on Thursday and it was like the most lost innings due to injury. And I think the Twins are yep. fifth with like 850 innings of people that haven't played or something like that. I yeah. don't know what the exact stat was. Don't quote me on it, but it, they were fifth on that list. I, I think as of like, it was like sometime earlier this week or something like that. It's I think the Twins have had the most players on the IL this season. Right. And that's not counting like Byron Buxton, like taking every fourth day off or something yeah. like that, you know? Like, to me, it doesn't feel like it that we're having that many injuries because after all, we're first in the AL Central. Yep. Um, You know, we could be like the White Sox and lose a player like Tim Anderson for, you know, several weeks or, you know, Luis Robert or Aloha Jimenez or, you know, just Yohan McCarthy, like all those guys that the, that the White Sox lost. It doesn't feel like the Twins have been in kind of a similar situation. But yeah, apparently we lead the league in the number of players that we put on IL. So That's wild. And yeah, every White Sox player has been hurt this season, which has been wild. <laughs> Literally yeah. everyone. I don't think there's been one guy that's avoided injury. Like Giolito right. was on the injured list. Lynn, every single guy you could think of. Vaughn. I don't think maybe Abreu was, but regardless, there's been a lot of injuries, which will lead right. us into our injury notes. But... Before we get into everything, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your questions, comments, and concerns to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. If you ever want to be featured on the show when we do an episode like this where we do a mailbag week, be sure to tweet at us and email us your questions so we can hear from our wonderful listeners and give you advice. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. So make sure whatever platform you're on, you drop us a follow and leave us a five-star review. That'll help other people know that this show is good and worth listening to. So please leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to us on. Now, let's move into the injury notes and roster moves. We start with one of the biggest losses of the week. This one hurts me because I roster him in multiple leagues, and he's been an MVP candidate. Bryce Harper of the Phillies was put on the 10-day IL on Sunday, June 26th, after being hit on his thumb with a pitch by Blake Snell. We found out after x-rays that he sustained a fractured left thumb and would require surgery to get it fixed. He underwent successful surgery on Wednesday, June 29th, and is expected to miss 6-8 to weeks. Harper, however, believes that he'll be able to beat that timeline, which all of the fantasy managers that roster him this season are hoping that he's right. 
missing Bryce Harper for any amount of time is going to hurt, so we're hoping that he returns sooner rather than later. He was on an MVP pace this season, so man, this one hurts. John, what are your thoughts about Harper's injury? Yeah, this one's tough. Um, I I have Bryce Harper, I think, on one of my teams. Um, it was the Blind Draft League that I'm a part of Oh, cool. Um, in Pitcherless. So, I mean, it's it's one of those points leagues that you just set and forget it for the rest of the season. So yeah. it sucks that, you know, our, our first round pick is, is now out for, you know, two months. But um, I was actually watching this game because uh, that last week, my opponent in fantasy had Blake Snell and had Bryce Harper and and Kyle Schwarber. So here I am just hoping that, you know, Blake Snell just mows down the Phillies. And then little did I know, he actually literally mowed down Bryce Harper as well. So it kind of sucks to see. I mean, Bryce Harper was having a great year, even with that UCL injury that he had. Um, And so he... He was kind of showing, like, yeah, the National League should have a DH and proving that it, it, it was a good thing for the league. Um, so it just sucks that he's hurt now, uh, especially for that Phillies team that was really hoping to compete this year in the NL East. Yeah, 15 homers, 9 steals. Hey, I'm happy as a Mets fan that he's not on the field, but as a fantasy yeah. manager and someone that just loves baseball and loves watching good baseball players, I generally don't, like, hate any players. I love watching Bryce Harper play. I love watching Ronald Acuna play. Even though they're against my Mets, I just love the sport of baseball and fantasy and players. I don't know. I just like all of it. So I Mm -hmm. really hate that Bryce Harper is going to miss any time this season. He's been great. He was a target in a bunch of my leagues. I got him in my first round of the 10-teamer home league, first round of a 12-teamer. I just really liked Harper this season, and he was proving why. He was one of the first people drafted in this year's drafts, and it sucks to see that he got hurt. But Hopefully, he'll be back soon. If he could beat that six- to eight-week timeline, that'd be pretty awesome. So, Harper, good luck with that thumb. And maybe that takes some stress off of his UCL as well. Moving on, we'll keep it with the Phillies. Zach Eflin was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, June 28th with a right knee bruise. I mean, come on. I know he had right knee discomfort and you can't really pitch on a bad knee, but a right knee bruise, really? I mean, okay. Anyways, Derek Hall was called up by the Phillies on Wednesday, June 29th. We'll talk about him a little bit more later on, but this guy is a mystery. Derek Hall. I just never heard of the guy, but we'll talk about him later. Kenley Jansen of the Braves was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, June 28th with an irregular heartbeat. Jansen dealt with this issue earlier in his career and ended up undergoing a heart procedure in 2018. He'll be throwing bullpens while on the injured list. Hopefully he'll be okay and come back in the minimum amount of time. And for now, A.J. Minter and Will Smith will split the time as closers. So if you need saves in a save-only league, if you're in a save-plus-hold league, Minter's probably already rostered. But if you're looking for a fill-in for now, if you roster Jansen, I would recommend picking up Minter and Smith, probably in that order. Minter first, Smith second. Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves has missed four straight games due to a bruised left foot. Acuna fouled the ball off of his foot last Saturday and has needed an extended amount of time to heal up, but apparently he won't need to be placed on the IL. He's expected to be back in the lineup this weekend. Carlos Santana was traded by the Royals on Monday, June 27th. The Royals traded Santana and $4.3 million to the Mariners for right-handers Wyatt Mills and William Fleming. This deal was mainly made for the call-up of Vinny Pasquantino, who was called up by the Royals on Monday, June 27th. At AAA Omaha, he slashed 280, 372, 576 with 18 home runs and 67 RBI across 296 plate appearances. If you need a first baseman and some power upside, look to pick up Pasquantino. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers was activated from the 15-day IL on Tuesday, June 28th. He was on the IL due to his sprained right ankle and complications due to Raynau syndrome, which is the feeling in his fingers, which is a crazy thing to have. We'll talk about his first start back a little bit later on in the show. He did pretty good. Wander Franco of the Rays was activated from the 10-day IL on Sunday, June 26th. He missed all of June with a left quad strain. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays threw off of a bullpen mound on Tuesday, June 28th. It's the first time that he's thrown off of a mound since undergoing Tommy John surgery in late August of last year. He's probably not going to pitch this season. If anything, it's going to be like a Cindergaard situation of the last year where he'll pitch like two innings or he'll come back in relief. So don't look to rush and grab him. If you're in a keeper league, this is the time to stash him away for sure. So he's most likely returning in 2023, but it's good to see Glasnow back in action. Brandon Lau of the Rays started taking batting practice on Tuesday, June 28th. He's been sidelined due to back discomfort. 
Lau is apparently pain-free and is expected to be activated sometime around the All-Star break. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers resumed baseball activities on Wednesday, June 29th. He's been on the I.L. with a right rib fracture, and manager Dave Roberts told reporters that he's very optimistic that he'll return before the All-Star break. Andrew Heaney of the Dodgers was placed right back on the 15-day I.L. with left shoulder inflammation on Friday, June 24th. He still hasn't been cleared to resume throwing, so we just have to wait and see with Heaney. Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres projects to join the Padres in late July or early August. He underwent another CAT scan on his surgically repaired left wrist on Tuesday, and it showed a good amount of healing. Good news for anyone that has had Tatis stashed away. I know I have him stashed away in one league. It's actually the pitcher list grapefruit league. So I'm very happy that he's going to hopefully come back soon, barring any setbacks. Do you have him stashed anywhere, John? I have him in the dynasty league. So actually, to me, it was just kind of like, oh, great. Tatis got injured. I guess I'll play for next season. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so, I am very excited to see how he does, especially since that team also has O'Neal Cruz on it. So I now have two of the best shortstop prospects in baseball. Oh, so that's a fun team. Pretty happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be really fun for you for years to come. Yeah. But hopefully Tatis doesn't have any setbacks and can help fantasy teams this season. Manny Machado of the Padres has missed nine straight games due to a severe left ankle sprain. The Padres probably should have put him on the IL, but maybe they're in a league where their IL spots are full. I don't know. But he did return to the lineup on Thursday against the Dodgers, so I'm guessing he's okay. Jacob deGrom of the Mets threw 27 pitches of live batting practice on Wednesday morning in Port St. Lucie. The indication is that deGrom might soon be cleared to begin a minor league rehab assignment, which would put him in line to make his 2022 debut sometime before the end of July. He's been out with a stress reaction in his scapula. I can't wait for DeGrom to come back. Watching him is so much fun. I've seen him several times in real life. It's just immaculate. Can't wait till he returns to DeGrom. Come back soon. Max Scherzer of the Mets threw 80 pitches over four and two-thirds innings in his second minor league rehab start at AA Binghamton on Wednesday. He's working his way back from an oblique strain, and as long as he feels good after this start, he will be cleared to return on July 4th. So, happy America Day to the New York Mets for Scherzer's return. Harrison Bader of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL with right foot plantar fasciitis on Monday, June 27th. That's a nagging injury for sure. People like Albert Pujols have suffered through that, so hopefully Bader can recover quick and come back this season with no problems. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals is on track to begin a minor league rehab assignment early next week. He's been sidelined due to a left hamstring strain. Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals was placed on the 15-day IL with a right shoulder strain on Monday, June 27th. Big yikes for Flaherty. This is not what you want to see. There's currently no timetable for his return, but he had just come back. Any shoulder issue is a big, big red flag, so hopefully you're okay, Flaherty. Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins was placed on the 10-day IL with a right lower back strain. He's expected to miss around two weeks. Pretty big blow for fantasy managers since he's been very good. David Bednar of the Pirates hasn't been available for the past few games due to a sore lower back. Nick Lodolo of the Reds will rejoin the Reds rotation on either Monday or Tuesday. He's been out with a back strain. John, what do you think about Nick Lodolo? I actually really like him, and I think him coming back soon is pretty exciting. I think that if he's out there on your wire, you should probably take a flyer on him depending on how he does in his first start. But I think he's got a lot of upside. I do too. I have Nick Lodolo, I think, on one of my teams. And I mean, when he, he was doing really well and then he hit IL, it was just kind of unfortunate. Um, you know, there's always this rip against Lodolo where I think it was um Keith Law, you know, refuses to put him on like a top 100 prospect list or right, things like yeah, that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course this year he comes up to the majors, and it turns out he's actually kind of a better pitcher than people were believing him to be, and also fun because Hunter Green was up at the same time, yep. so you had these two rookies for the Reds who, you know, obviously the Reds were having a fire sale on all their on all their. <laughs> players so it was nice to see at least that the rookies were doing something so yeah I, i'm excited to see lodolo come back um i don't know if i'd immediately start him this right. week i agree uh, but yeah it's it's a wait and see see if he's got the stuff back and if it is then i think just you know, enjoy the ride yeah he's going to need to build back up a little bit so i think if his first start looks promising go and mm -hmm. grab him and hopefully he does yep. well yeah Keeping it with the Reds, Tommy Pham sat out of Tuesday's game on June 28th due to lower back stiffness. He returned to the lineup on Wednesday and went 1-for-4 with a stolen base. He's presumably okay, but keep an eye on Pham because it seems like everyone is having back issues this year. I don't know what it is, but 
if you paid attention to the last three guys we named, all back issues, so don't know what's going on there. Jorge Polanco of the Twins was activated from the 10-day IL on Tuesday, June 28th. He returned for the second game of the doubleheader and proceeded to go 2-for-4 with a two-run homer and three RBI. Polanco's returning from, you guessed it, lingering lower back tightness. Just something with backs this year. Michael Brantley of the Astros was placed on the 10-day IL with right shoulder discomfort on Tuesday, June 28th. Something notable about this injury is that Brantley was steadily batting second in the order, but now that he's out, Jeremy Pena has been put in that spot, which puts him in line for even better counting stats for fantasy. And speaking of Pena, he and Jordan Alvarez of the Astros got into a collision in the eighth inning of Wednesday's game against the Mets. They were both coming in to catch a fly ball and had a pretty violent collision with each other. Alvarez was carted off of the field and Pena initially was going to stay in, but ended up being pulled from the game as well. They're both undergoing concussion protocols, but no other news has released about them. Any of those guys getting hurt for an extended period of time would be horrible. Jordan, right now MVP candidate, right next to Aaron Judge for that American League MVP. And Jeremy Pena, AL Rookie of the Year possibility. So both of them are really good and have been having great seasons so far. So hopefully they'll be okay. Austin Meadows of the Tigers was transferred from the COVID-19 list to the 10-day IL with strains to both of his Achilles tendons. How is that even possible? Regardless, Meadows has only played in 36 games so far this season, and there's currently no timetable for his return. Zach Davies of the Diamondbacks was placed on the 15-day IL with right shoulder inflammation on Tuesday, June 28th. Liam Hendricks of the White Sox is scheduled to throw a simulated game on Friday, July 1st. He made it through a bullpen session Monday without issue and will now take the next step in his recovery from a right forearm strain. Yasmati Grandal of the White Sox has resumed taking swings off of a tee but hasn't resumed running. He never really ran in the first place, but besides that point, there's no timetable for his return. He'll most likely need a minor league rehab assignment before returning. Aroldis Chapman of the Yankees is looking at returning from the IL on Friday. He's returning from left Achilles tendonitis. Clay Holmes is expected to remain as a closer for the Yankees, but it could be a shared role moving forward. Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs began a minor league rehab assignment on Thursday, June 30th. I believe he homered. He's been sidelined due to a sprained left ring finger. Garrett Whitlock of the Red Sox could begin a rehab assignment this weekend. He's coming back from a right hip impingement. Manager Alex Cora indicated that Whitlock will be utilized as a reliever upon his return from the IL, so if you were stashing him as a starter, you might have to look elsewhere for starting pitching help, because it looks like he's going to be a reliever. Ty France of the Mariners was placed on the 10-day IL retroactive to June 24th with a left elbow strain. Manager Scott Service said on Monday that France is pushing hard to rehab when first eligible on July 4th. However, take that with a grain of salt since he has a grade 2 flexor strain and might need more time than the 10-day minimum. Jacob Junis of the Giants threw a bullpen session on Tuesday. He's ramping back up as he nears the end of his recovery from a grade 2 left hamstring strain that he suffered on June 10th. Junis could return somewhere around the All-Star break. And the never-ending updates on Chris Bryant of the Rockies hopefully come to an end since Bryant was activated off of the 10-day IL on Monday, June 27th. Please let that back stay healthy so that I never have to mention your name ever again on the injury notes and roster moves section. John, any further notes on any of these players? Not really. Just a lot of hurt guys. Yep. Um, and this is the time of the year when it starts hurting your roster. Um, so, yeah, I just hope these guys get healthy soon. And I'm really excited, though, to see Jacob deGrom just completely dominate yes. some single-A minor leaguers again. That yes. was so much fun last year. So, One note I want to make is Max Scherzer. I don't know if you saw, but he did a rehab assignment in double-A. And uh-huh. he was wearing a jersey that just looked ridiculous. Like, why do double-A uniforms look absolutely and utterly ridiculous? Did you see Robinson Cano when he went on a rehab assignment and he was in a SpongeBob jersey? <laughs> no way. Yeah, dude. Oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope someone has that jersey and it's signed. Oh, man. Someone is going to pay a lot of money for that. Someone that's made a hilarious. tweet. I think it was the tweet of the year, in my opinion. And it was like, you either play long enough to make it to the Hall of Fame or see yourself in a SpongeBob uniform. And I <laughs> lost it, dude. You have to see the picture. It's hilarious. It really is fun. Okay. That, that sounds like something I'll have to look up. Absolutely. All right. Now moving on to some recap of player performances this week. Just as a reminder to everyone, we pretty much pull all of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the Pitcherless website, including the Batters Box article and the SB Roundup articles. They're fantastic resources to read each day to see how your players performed. 
Uh, but getting right into it, on the weekend, um, from June 24th to the 26th, starting on Friday, um, Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays went 4-for-4 four four with two runs, a homer, and two RBIs against the Brewers. Kirk's been one of the best contributors from the catcher position this year, and in baseball in general, he's in the top 20 in average, OBP, and slug. He's boasting an elite strikeout rate and a walk rate as well, so um, just all-around good contributions from Kirk. Friday's game was another example of what Kirk brings to the table, even if he did leave the game early after getting hit on a backswing. Even though the Jays got three viable catchers, Danny Jansen, uh, Gabriel Moreno, who was just called up, and Kirk, they've basically been making sure that Kirk's bat is in the lineup every day, so you can definitely start him with confidence. Wilmer Flores of the Giants went 2-4 for four with a double, a homer, two runs, and three RBI on Saturday against the Reds. Flores is one of those bats that's just kind of nice to have on your bench, slot into your lineup once in a while. Um, if you have him starting every single day, I hope it's in like a middle infield or corner infield position. Um, he should not be your starting second baseman, for example. Um, he's not particularly flashy, but because of that multi-positional eligibility, he's he's pretty valuable to have. He's been above league averages here in runs, RBIs, OBP, and slug, and that's pretty good from a guy who's just on your bench. In deeper leagues, you could do a lot worse than Flores um, in that middle infield, corner infield slot. And he's going to be continue being a mainstay in the Giants lineup. And on days like Saturday, you'll be glad you have him on your team. And they got to talk about my boy, Byron Buxton. Uh, the Twins went three for three with a double, a triple, three runs, an RBI, and a walk on Sunday against the Rockies. A lot's been said about Buxton uh, for not being 100% most of the season. He's basically taking every fourth, fifth game off at this point. Uh, the Twins are just choosing to rest him for multiple days in a row. This can be frustrating for fantasy managers, especially in your weekly leagues. You don't know how many games Buxton's going to play this week. However, always when you see stat lines like the one on Sunday's game, all three of its hits were over 95 miles an hour, and he still has the speed to get a triple. Just wish that speed will also get me some stolen bases as well. Fun fact, in his last 162 games, Buxton has hit 52 homers, so it'd be amazing if he could play a full season. Wow, that's an unbelievable stat for Buxton. That's wild. Flores mashes left-handed pitching. He's not that great against righties. I'm not sure if this game was against a left-handed pitcher, but... He does mash lefties. So if you're in one of those deeper leagues and you do roster Wilmer Flores, if he's starting against a lefty, put him in the lineup because he is probably going to do something, give you at least a double or a single or an RBI. Like he hits lefties very well. So that's the only comment I can make on Wilmer Flores. He's just a deeper option, but against lefties, he's very good. Yeah, moving on to pitchers, and we got Aaron Nola of the Phillies going seven innings with one earned run, seven hits, two walks, and 10 Ks on Friday against the Padres. Nola's been elite this year with four straight quality starts. He dominated the Padres. He was getting whiffs on the curveball and called strikes on the sinker. The four-seamer was also pretty effective, got eight whiffs on its own. Yes, it did come with a loss on Friday, but you'll overlook that because it also came with 10 strikeouts. The whip wasn't great either, but hopefully this version of Nola is here to stay and not the version from last year. Yeah. Christian Javier of the Astros uh, went seven innings with zero and run zero hits. One walk and 13 Ks on Saturday against the Yankees. Um, he was, of course, part of that historic night as the Yankees were no hit by the Astros. Um, Javier has been good for pretty much most of the season. There have been a few blowups here and there, um, but he relied on Saturday a lot on that four-seamer slider combo. He only threw six combined curveballs and change-ups in 115 pitches. So, yeah, that, that four-seamer and slider were definitely getting worked. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep starting Javier. Uh, Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers went 5.2 innings with one earned run, five hits, two walks, and five Ks on Sunday against Atlanta. Gonsolin is somehow first in wins, fourth in ERA, and second in whip. For some pitchers, you look at the advanced metrics and you just wonder, why isn't the guy doing better? For me, when I look at Gonsolin, I'm just wondering how he's doing this. Uh, the strikeout rate, the CSW, nothing really to write home about. They're above league average, but they're not you know amazing. He is limiting hard contact very well, though, and he has improved his ground ball rate this season. Um, even with a league average walk rate, he's limited hits very effectively this year, which really explains that low whip. The expected stats on the Babbitt point to a potential regression for Gonsolin, but for now, I guess keep starting him. He keeps turning in really good starts, and I don't know how he's doing it. Yeah, one note, Javier, I'm sad because when he was made a starter, I picked him up. And then he had like two bad outings in a row. And I said, eh, I'll throw him away. And then he's yeah. been great ever since. <laughs> he's been so good yeah. ever since. And Gonsolin's been amazing. Actually, Justin Verlander just passed him for most wins with 10. He's the Did first he? pitcher to okay. 10. But Gonsolin, go. he was first up until Verlander yesterday. So 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dodson I don't get it, but I guess when you play for the Dodgers, you get that run support, and if you yeah. limit runs and you limit hits, yeah, it usually results in a win. Yeah, I mean, just look at Tyler Anderson and even Andrew Heaney yep. for the outings he's had. They just get wins because the Dodgers are so freakishly good. Mm-hmm. But moving on to Monday, June 27th, for the hitters, we have the Batters Box article, One in a Dylan by Mark Stubinger. Leading with the title boy, Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals. He went two for four with a double, a triple, two runs, and an RBI. Carlson's been very good since coming back from injury, slashing 269, 397, 538 with nine extra base hits. Part of this is due to his more patient approach at the plate, as his swing rate is down under 10%, which has improved his walk rate by over 10%. He's also improved his barrel rate and is hitting the ball harder, which is always good to see. Monday's performance hopefully reinforces that Carlson is back and ready to continue the success from his rookie year. As long as he doesn't take the leadoff spot away from Tommy Edmond, I wish you the best, Dylan Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Mitch Garver of the Rangers went two for three with a homer, two runs, two RBI, and a walk. Garver was having an okay season before being sidelined with an elbow injury for the first part of June. Prior to the injury, he had hit seven homers and was slashing 206, 283, 397 which is not brilliant by any means, but he was serviceable as a starting catcher on your rosters. With his elbow injury preventing him from playing in the field, the Rangers have been happy to keep him as a full-time DH, and he did just that on Monday with a two-run homer to give the Rangers a 7-4 lead in the fifth. So if you're looking for some catcher help, if Mitch Garver's out there, he's a good power source. He's not going to give you a good average, but what can you really expect out of the catcher position besides Kirk and Contreras being incredible? As for the pitchers, we've got Tristfall by Nick Pollock from the SP Roundup. Leading us off is Chad Cool of the Rockies, and man, was his performance cool. Nine innings pitched, zero earned runs, three hits, no walks, and five strikeouts against the Dodgers in Coors Field. Cool is a frequent sighting on our streamers portion, but never would I have ever expected him to shut out the Dodgers in Coors Field. This is probably nothing, though, as his command was all over the place, and he only earned six whiffs on the slider. He does get Arizona next, and honestly, it might be worth a start there if you need a stream consider Chad cool, but sometimes when pitchers come off of a long performance, like a nine inning pitch, hundred pitches thrown, they usually kind of struggle the next outing or lose a little bit in that outing. But Hey, I think it's worth it against the diamondbacks. They're not very good. Marte is slumping. So I would probably take that stream, but man, what an outing from Chad cool. He's been kind of good this season. Mm -hmm. And then Lucas Giolito of the white Sox, who's kind of not been good this season. He went six innings pitched two earned runs, six hits, a walk, and six strikeouts versus the Angels. It's not often that we get excited about a pretty meh start from Giolito, but the main takeaway from this start was that the changeup got 10 whiffs. If the changeup is truly back, Giolito might be back to his old form, and all of your worries from the past few weeks can go away. However, this was just one start. We'll see if he can bring the slow ball back to its previous dominance, because it was really good. It was a pitch that set him apart. When he was throwing that Mm -hmm. changeup higher up in the zone, he was having a lot of success, and that was an actual tangible change that he made. So... If that changeup comes back, he will be back. But if it doesn't, then we might see some more meh performances from Giolito. Right. Yeah, he gets the Giants next. Um, so if he can succeed there, I think he might be back. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. He does get Detroit after that. So he has a pretty cushy lineup of starts for him. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does um, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I like Giolito a lot, someone I've always been high on, and I've not rostered in as many places as I've wanted to. I actually have him in TGFBI, and he's been kind of disappointing, of course, but hopefully he rebounds because he is an ace when he's on it. Right, yep. Well, moving on to Tuesday, June 28th, uh, we got the La Pantera Rob Riot by Jim Chatterton. (laughs) Good job getting through that title. That's a tough title. (laughs) That's a good title, Jim, by the way, for the the Batters Box article. Uh, Starting with Jonathan Indy of the Reds, went two for five with a homer, two runs, and three RBIs. Uh, the reigning NL Rookie of the Year has spent most of the season injured, mostly due to the hamstring injury. Um, he hasn't even topped 100 plate appearances yet this season. Uh, but this game was probably a good indication that India is healthy and ready to go for the rest of the season. Both of his hits on Tuesday were hard-hit balls, so the power is still definitely there. I uh, can definitely look forward to seeing more from India over the season. And then Jorge Polanco, like we talked about uh, earlier, uh, for the Twins, went 2-4 for four with a home run, a run, three RBIs, and a walk. Polanco made his return from the IL a resounding success with a 400-foot bomb, helping the Twins stay ahead of the Guardians in the AL Central race. 
His plate discipline has been interesting to follow this year as his strikeout rate and his walk rate have both gone up, which is kind of one of those funny things to see. Yep. Part of this is due to him whiffing more, but also seeing less pitches inside the zone. Hopefully, if you have him, you have him in an OBP league, but honestly, he's just going to help you out in whatever league you have. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Polanco. I have him in TGFBI yeah. as well, and I thought he was a great value for where he was going in drafts because he's just a really mm-hmm. good player. Really, really yeah. solid. Exactly. And then the Brandon Goodstuff article, our SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock, uh, starting off with our boy Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers. Five innings, one in run, two hits, zero walks, but 10 Ks against the Rays. Both the four-seamer and the sinker were averaging 97 miles an hour, which you love to see from Woodruff. It's good to see him back healthy from the IL after dealing with Reynolds for all of June. All his pitches, with the exception of the slider, were earning strikes all night, and it feels like we can trust in Woodruff again. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that velocity changes throughout the season. Maybe he was just a little bit more amped back coming from the IL, uh, tossing both of those pitches at an average of 97 miles an hour. But it's good to see Woodruff back. And then Luis Castillo of the Reds went six innings, zero in runs, five hits, three walks, and 11 strikeouts against the Cubs. Castillo's name has been flying around the trade rumor mill, and we'll be talking about trades a little bit later. Um, this start only helped fan those flames. He tossed 123 pitches and got 19 whiffs on his fastball alone. The changeup was fairly ineffective, though. Had no whiffs on it. Wow. Castillo's four-seamer has been pretty dominant this season. He's been fooling batters and increased his swinging strike rate dramatically from 13% to 20% on that four-seamer. However, even with the start, Castillo still has a higher ERA and whiff than you would like. Um, that's just the thing with Castillo. Hopefully he goes somewhere where, you know, a ball hit out of the park is, is, isn't as easy to accomplish. Yeah, hey, City Field, not a great hitter's park, so Luis Castillo, just saying. <laughs> I, I don't like right. Luis Castillo, though. Every time I see him pitch, it looks like he's perpetually crying. Like, his just face just looks like he's, like, about to cry. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but if you guys listen, watch his start and just look at his face. Whenever he gives up a hit or strikes somebody out, he just looks like he's about to cry. I don't like it. I don't know. It just doesn't look confident. But Brandon Woodruff, on the other hand, it's great to see him back in this kind of form because he's a great yeah. pitcher and he was struggling, so it's awesome to see him back. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to Wednesday, June 29th from the Batters Box article, Bry, Bry, Bry again by Dave Swan. Brian Reynolds of the Pirates went three for five with three home runs, three runs, and six RBI. Reynolds has been a huge disappointment so far. He's gotten off to an absolutely abysmal start to the season. In 19 games in April, he had a 194 batting average with two home runs and four RBI. In 26 games in May, he had a 224 average with five home runs and eight RBI. But June Brian Reynolds has been awesome. In 27 games in June, Reynolds has a 337 batting average, 8 homers, and 19 RBI. That's the kind of production from Reynolds that managers wanted to see when they selected him in the 6th to 8th rounds of their drafts. The expectation for Reynolds was probably a 290 batting average accompanied by plus power, maybe 25 homers, and 170 combined runs in RBI. The one concern for Reynolds is that his advanced metrics do not look good. He's league average in pretty much everything. Hard hit percentage, average exit velocity, barrel percentage, etc. So, doesn't look good in that department. And also, his batting average for the season is currently .258, and his expected batting average is .263. That's definitely not what you want to see, especially from a guy who just previously batted .300 for an entire season. But after the month that he just put up, I'm expecting him to right the ship and remain a top 20 outfielder for the rest of the season. Rowdy Telez of the Brewers went 2-for-4 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, and 2 RBI. Rowdy went on a super hot streak to begin this year, and then he cooled down considerably as of late. However, it looks like the big bulky Brewer boy has found that hot stroke again. The multi-homer game marks the second in his last three games. He's someone that you want if you need power. Rowdy isn't the most consistent bat, but he bats third in the Brewers lineup, and he will most likely get you 25-30 to homers this season. For someone that's only 53% rostered on Yahoo, he's a bargain. Look into picking him up if you need a first baseman and you need some power. Also, shout out to Alex Kirilov of the Twins, who hit his first homer of the season on Wednesday. He's got a ton of upside, and if he's available in your league, I'd recommend scooping him up. John, any thoughts on Kirilov or any of these guys? Yeah, for Rowdy, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm in an interesting situation in one of my leagues where I'd like to pick him up. But I've got Jose Obreu already taking up the first baseman uh, spot, and I have Otani in my in my utility spot. So mm. it's like I can't pick up Rowdy. I, I'd love to, but I, yeah, it's hard to see. But for Kirilov, it's kind of, it's good to see that the power is finally there. Um, he had actually been you know racking up a lot of RBIs, um, just getting base hits and things like that. But it's good to see that the power is back, especially after all that worry about his wrists not being 
um, completely healthy. Yep. But it looks like he's he's completely healthy and he is going to be a big contributor for the Twins for the rest of the season. Definitely. And moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, front end Clev. Mike Clevenger pitched amazing, but we're going to talk about Justin Verlander of the Astros, who went eight innings pitched, zero earned runs, two hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Mets. He had 15 whiffs and only a 26% CSW, but Verlander is easily the early favorite for the AL Cy Young Award. He's the first starting pitcher to reach 10 wins this season, as we mentioned before, just took the lead in the majors. He's got a 2.08 ERA, a 0.83 whip, 90 strikeouts, and 97.1 innings pitched. And I don't expect him to slow down anytime soon or be restricted at all this season. If you took the gamble on him in drafts this season, congratulations, you are being heavily rewarded. He's just a monster. And then Zach Granke of the Royals, he went six innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and three strikeouts against the Rangers. Granke was dreadful to start the season. He's got a remarkably low 32 strikeouts in 63.2 innings pitched, which is very, very bad. That's not going to win you a championship. However, nope. as of late, he is keeping the ratios in check and bringing in some wins. In his last two starts, he went six innings, gave up one earned run for that quality start, and got a win. I don't think that you should be rostering Granky, but if he's got a really favorable matchup, I trust him to not get obliterated at least. So Granky might be an option for you. And then a couple of guys that we always mention and I didn't want to dive deeper into because we just always do that. Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins went nine innings pitch with two earned runs, seven hits, two walks, and three strikeouts against the Cardinals. And Shohei Otani of the Angels went 5.2 innings pitched, no earned runs, five hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the White Sox. 24 whiffs and a 39% CSW. Just insane for Otani. Ace is going to ace. John, before you comment on any of these guys, do you think it's time we move Shohei Otani from the util spot to the pitcher spot for leagues that have him as one guy? So, <laughs> it is one of those interesting questions because he is a really, really good pitcher. Yeah. Um, I luckily have him in a daily league where I can put him in as a utility and a, and a pitcher. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I'm very happy about that. Uh, if you're in a Yahoo league where you had to draft both guys, I'm sorry, you don't get to have that type of fun. Yeah, even on NFBC, uh, you can draft him as one player, but you can only start him each week in util or at pitcher. So right. you either miss the whole week of him batting and you get his start, or you miss yep. his start and you get the whole week of him batting. So it's frustrating. Yeah, that's that's an interesting conundrum to, to think about because – he is such a good pitcher, but then you miss out on basically five days of MVP level batting. And yeah. I, I don't I don't know if it's worth it. I think he's super overpowered in a league like yours where you can change him yeah. between. It's, and he's so worth it. <laughs> yeah, he's easily the best player in baseball for fantasy if you can do it like that. Yes. But yeah. it's so hard him being two different guys or only being able to do one per week in a weekly league. Yep. I don't mm -hmm. know because he's such a good hitter and he's going to give you steals and power. But then mm -hmm. I start like this, 11 strikeouts and 5.2 and no one runs. You're like, man, I want this guy as my starter. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, yep. that's a tough that's call, tough. man. Yeah, that's tough. Um, but yeah, like, looking at the other guys, shout out to also to Avisel Garcia who hit a homer in the ninth inning giving Sandy Alcantara the win. True, but uh, boo, because that was off of Ryan Helsley, and that nah. was upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it was good to see Sandy get yes. a win after you know basically Sandy going deserved nine it. innings. Sandy's been so yeah. deserving of one of those because he's had so many losses in that regard. It's yeah, it's just unfortunate. So, yeah, good shout out to those two guys, obviously for for being amazing at pitching. Yep. Um, yeah. So moving on to Thursday, uh, we have a fun one here. Uh, congratulations to all of the Phillies. Uh, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, and Derek Hall, the rookie. <laughs> All homeward. Derek Hall hit two homers. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a testament to the Phillies line just heating up in Bryce Harper's absence or just Ian Anderson just completely losing his ability to pitch this game. There's nothing that we could find out about Derek Hall. He's not a top 30 prospect in the Phillies organization, according to MLB.com. He's played six seasons in the minors. He had a career 251 batting average with 118 homers. So I guess the power is kind of there. This baseball reference page hilariously says, get this, he's a first baseman, a left fielder, and a pitcher. Uh, this guy's a mystery. I no idea who this kid is, uh, but he's hitting cleanup for the Phillies, and he hit two homers today. I don't think it's going to be super relevant. Maybe pick him up in deeper leagues, just if you have an open bench spot. Keep an eye out on him. If he keeps batting cleanup and hitting nukes, take that chance. And the Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs uh, just... My goodness, also going off today with two home runs, one of them being a grand slam. Six RBIs, one stolen base. 
He sent a two out, one one ninety five mile an hour sinker from Graham Ashcraft deep into the left field stands for a grand slam. Also got an RBI from reaching on an error by Brandon Drury, which led him to stealing second base. And as we also mentioned, he also had a solar homer. Wisdom has had a pretty good season so far, batting 225, 311, 451, with 15 homers, 42 RBI, and three stolen bases. He's got first base, third base, and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, and is 71% rostered, so if he's out there on your league, he might be able to help you if you have a hole at various positions. And then another guy who we just don't know about, Michael Perez of the <laughs> Pirates, four for four, three home runs. <laughs> what is it with these Pirates hitters and hitting three home runs and having three home nights. run games? Crazy. Uh, that came with five RBIs. He's had a 129 batting average this season, though. Uh, there's nothing actionable here. It's just cool that a guy hit three home runs. Even in a two-catcher league, I highly doubt you're going to be picking up Michael Perez. But cool to see. Yeah, Michael Perez, no action there. But hey, congrats on three home runs. Patrick Wisdom went off on Thursday. Just a great game. And all the Phillies, yep. Derek Hall, who are you? But hey, <laughs> good job, Phillies. You destroyed yep. Ian Anderson. Way to go. Yeah, I mean, Nick Castellanos hit a homer. It's amazing. Yeah, he's been really bad. That's another whole discussion we could have had is how bad Nick Castellanos has been this season, but we'll save that for maybe a later time. Yeah. Uh, Then looking at pitchers, Yusei Kikuchi of the Blue Jays went six innings with four hits, one and run, one walk, and eight Ks against the Rays. He's basically known for his strikeout potential, not much else. The ERA and the whip have not been good this year. Uh, I think his ERA is in the fives. He struggled with command. He had a spike in his walk rate this year. He was able to excel tonight, though, against the Rays uh, with effective secondary stuff. Again, that strikeout potential. He got seven whips on his slider, five on his changeup. Even though he was still giving up a lot of hard contact, he was able to withstand the Rays, only giving up one homer over the night, while the other three hits were just singles. Um, I wouldn't expect this to stick, however. Don't go out and get Kikuchi. I don't think he's worth it. And then Luis Garcia of the Astros went five in one innings, three hits, one in run, two walks, and six Ks against the Yankees. Garcia has had his up and downs this season, and he's only had two starts all season where he hasn't given up a run. So just that ERA is just not that pretty. Um, he usually makes up for it with a lot of strikeouts, though, so that's nice. Um, if you look at his player page, nothing really stands out. Sure, there's a lot of red there, but it's light red, not the dark red that we expect out of an ace. With that type of track record, we definitely don't fault you if you left him on your bench tonight when he played the Yankees. But with this start, he relied on his cutter-fastball combo, had a few breaking balls sprinkled in, struggled to get whiffs with a cutter, but did get a decent amount of called strikes on the four-seamer. And he got outs to the end, and that's all that matters in baseball. Yeah, Kikuchi, very good streamer, not someone you want to roster. And Luis Garcia has been pretty good this season, but as you said, there's only two outings where he gave up no earned runs, so he definitely gives up a run at least every outing. So something to monitor there, but Garcia's pretty good. Now, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be answering questions from our listeners. Stay tuned. All right, so we have a few questions, some from our email and some from Discord. So, John, let us know what those questions are. Yeah, we'll start out with one from John. Not me, I swear, but another (laughs) John. Uh, Talking about relievers. So, uh, John traded for Giovanni Gallegos a few weeks into the season, then added Ryan Helsley when the situation seemed to shift in St. Louis. He likes to roster four closer options at a time to kind of have that saves edge in his in his matchups. He also has Duvall and Tanner Houck. And so his question is, do you keep Geo in a saves-only league? Tanner Scott is available on his waiver wire and does seem to have emerged as a closer in Miami. Since it's saves-only, not saves-hold, Scott is probably the more valuable piece in the short term. His concern, though, is that if he lets Geo go, he'll be picked up. And if the situation in St. Louis remains fluid or reverts back to Geo taking the same situations, he's going to miss out. From a roster construction standpoint, is it more valuable rest of season to hold both pieces of a committee, like Helsley and Gallegos, or a better edge to drop the hedge piece of the committee, like Geo, and add a Tanner Scott type closer to have a fourth true closer? What do you think, Lee? So my opinion on this is pretty standard. I would definitely pick up Tanner Scott and drop Giovanni Gallegos. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is, Unless it's a save plus hold league, if you have a save plus hold league, then Helsley and Gallegos combo is awesome because one's probably getting a hold, one's probably getting a save whenever they both pitch. Mm -hmm. But Helsley seems to be the favorite for saves, and I love Giovanni Gallegos. He was on a lot of my championship teams last year when he emerged as a closer, and I picked him up for free. Mm -hmm. But they are trusting Helsley a lot, and they are being kind of cautious with Helsley, which is leading to some save opportunities for Gallegos because Helsley will either pitch two innings one day and then not pitch for three days, or he'll pitch one and then one and then get three days off. So they do give him some rest 
here and there. But he is the emerging closer, and I think he gets about 75% of the remaining saves for the Cardinals, and Gallegos gets the remaining 25%. And in that scenario, in a saves-only league, I'd rather the guy that's going to get you saves every time he pitches. And that'll be Tanner Scott for the Marlins. And the Marlins aren't the best team, and they're going to win games by a close margin. So Mm -hmm. I think Tanner Scott's just going to be overall more valuable for you. He'll also probably provide more strikeouts than Gallegos in general. My personal opinion when it comes to closers, I like to roster two to three, mainly three. I'll talk about my home league. It's a save plus hold league, and it just happened this year, that format. But we used to do saves only. So speaking from the saves only perspective, if you rostered two closers, you probably split every week saves. You either won or you lost about 50% of the time. If you had three, I noticed it was about 80% of the time you would win saves. And if you had four, you pretty much won saves every week. So if you notice that you're beating other people in your league by a lot in saves, I would just stick to having three and maybe rostering another starting pitcher or another bench bat. But in this context, if you like to have four, I would rather Scott over Gallegos. What about you, John? Yeah, I think for me, my opinion actually is just go down to three closer options. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah, and then you could potentially say, let me just keep Geo, see how this goes. The other thing too with with Tanner Scott specifically is we don't know what's going to happen when people come back from injury. And the Marlins are notorious for not sticking to a guy at their closer position. So specifically Tanner Scott, there's a little bit of risk there. He might not had the job for very long. But in my opinion, yeah, I think you only really need to have three three relievers, three closers, depending on if you're in a saves hold league or even in a saves league. Um, but it, it is nice to hedge with, with Gallegos if you want to. Um, and at the end of the day, Gallegos is probably still, well, assuming he doesn't blow up, he does still get you pretty decent whip in ERA if you need that. Um, so in my opinion, I yeah, if you really need to have four, pick up Tanner Scott but if you're okay with having three and you're and you're competing in your head-to-head uh, matchups every single week with just three, yeah, I'd say go for another starter, go for another bench bat, or just keep Geo and see how it works out. Yeah, I think Helsley, Duvall, and Hauk are three really good closer options, and I think mm-hmm. you're going to be fine with just those three. Yep. And if you want that fourth, like I said, Scott is the closer right now. And if he stays there, then you've got a pretty good closer with really good strikeout upside. But if he does Mm -hmm. lose the job, you can always drop him and pick up another closer option. But like John and I both said, I think you should just roster three because three is probably going to win you saves most of the time, unless there's always a team with four or five closers or, you know, one or two closers. So you'll probably win those matchups more than you'll lose them. So I would just recommend going to three. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, then moving on to the next question, also from John. Um, so in, in this same league, he has a batting roster that allows for two utility spots and two bench spots. It's also a four outfielder league for context. Um, and he likes rostering players with multi-position eligibility on his bench uh, for those two bench spots. So he has this list of seven players. He's got to drop two or three of them. I'm going to read these off to you and you tell me which of these players do you drop and why. Okay. So Joey Votto, Max Muncie. Christopher Morell, Dylan Carlson, Riley Green, Cabrian Hayes, and Trey Mancini. If you have to drop two to three of them, who do you drop? This is super tough because all of these guys are in like the same range for me. And Mm -hmm. John stated that he's in a Yahoo 6x6 OBP league. I don't know if it's average in OBP or OBP in slugging. I'm going to assume it's OBP in slugging. Otherwise, you would have wrote average and OBP. So I'll just take it like that. 12 team for outfielder league. I don't know your team, which is one of the biggest problems is I can't say, hey, drop Votto and Mancini if those are your only first base options. If you have a first baseman like a Jose Abreu, then I could say, yeah, drop those two. But I don't know if one of these guys is your starting first baseman and the other is just a bench bat or they're both bench bats. I don't know the situation fully. So next time you do write a question in, which we love when you guys write in, these are the first email questions that we've had. So make sure you email us, everybody, to have your questions answered about fantasy baseball. But next time, I'm glad you told us your league settings, but also give your roster just so we can look at it and maybe make a better suggestion. But if I have to take all of these players at face value and drop two to three, I'm going to say Carlson right now, who's been heating up, is someone you can't drop. Riley Green right now is a top prospect. When you drop him, he's gone for good. Someone else is going to grab him, and he's got a lot of potential. So I also think you shouldn't drop him. 
you wrote in the email that you're hoping that one of those guys, Muncie, Morrell, or Hayes, who have third base eligibility will be your starting third baseman. And I think out of all three of those options, I like Muncie and Hayes the best. I think I like Morrell the least. So I would say if I had to pick two or three people, I would probably pick Votto and Morrell, which kills me because I love Joey Votto. Again, was on a bunch of my championship teams last year. But Votto's been really bad. He did homer on Thursday, so maybe a little bit of a sign of life. But the Reds are bad. He's not hitting very well, and he could heat up in the second half, 100%. He could do exactly what he did last year. And there's also a very good chance that he's just older, and he's lost it because he's older, and he could lose it in the snap of a finger. So it's tough to recommend dropping Votto because if you do drop him, someone might take the chance on rostering him. He is good in OBP leagues, so it's tough to drop him. But he's been pretty bad, and Mancini's been pretty good as of late. He's on an eight-game hitting streak. The Orioles are actually a pretty decent team right now. So if I had to suggest two to three people that are on the fringe, I would say it's Votto, Morell, and Mancini. I think Muncie, Carlson, Green, and Hayes deserve a little bit more of your time. Votto's edging that drop line. Morell, he's ninth in the order now. And although he is heating up and he has multi-position eligibility, I think there's better options out there. You mentioned Kirilov is out there, and I'd probably rather him than Morell. And then Hayes, if you need stolen bases, that's one thing that he is giving you. His underlying metrics are actually really good. His advanced stats are, are very nice. They're not leading to anything, but he's got 91st percentile hard hit percentage, 88th percentile average exit velocity, and 86th percentile max exit velocity. He's got a lot of red on his StatCast page, but it's not turning into anything. He's got three home runs this year. But yeah, if I have to choose two, if you're putting a gun to my head, I would say Votto and Morel. But it's hard because Votto could heat up and be good in an OBP. But those are my two, maybe Mancini over Votto, depending on who you like more. But this is a coin flip. Ideally, in this league, I don't know what your team is. And any of these guys, you can drop if there's a better option out there. Yeah, I think if this is your bench, like these are the guys who you're kind of trying to figure out your bench. Votto for me is just an automatic drop. I like just he only has first base eligibility. And if he's like in that utility spot, that bench spot, there's much better guys that you can pick up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Max Muncy is the hard one for me because I almost dropped him this week in my home league for Alex Kirilov. Um, he, I, I believe he's playing hurt. Yeah. I, you just can't have this drop off in contact rates or in hard contact rates specifically. Um, just being unable to get a hit, even in Coors Field of all places. Um, he's just struggling right now, and I, I don't think he's fully healthy. Um, but out of this list, I like keeping him because he's got that first, second, third base eligibility, and he's going to just offer a little bit more um, on your bench because you don't have to start him. You could just leave him on your bench if you really wanted to, and if he gets hot, great, just put him in. Um, I agree. Christopher Mell is a drop for me. I just don't think there's enough there for me to want to keep him, and there's just outfielders you could always pick up um dylan carlson riley green to be are not drops cabrian hayes is kind of a drop to me he's just really boring yeah he's a guy with 10 15 uh 10 10 homers 15 stolen base potential but i don't know how often those are going to be coming and um it's just tough to have that kind of guy starting a utility spot and then trey mancini i think there's just a lot of trey mancini's on your waiver wire and so if you drop him there's going to be another guy you can pick up even if Mancini gets taken. So Yeah, I agree with all those sentiments that John said. The thing that I would try to do, because you did mention that you're hoping that Hayes, Morell, or Muncy can emerge as your starting third baseman. I would try to package Hayes or Muncy with someone else to get a better third baseman. I know you said you've tried to make some trades and it hasn't worked, but if you entice them with something like, let's say you roster Kyle Wright, and you sell high on Kyle Wright, and you package Muncy or Hayes, and you get a third baseman of the likes of Brandon Drury or Austin Riley, maybe you can make that work. I, Drury is obviously more obtainable. Riley's probably not as obtainable. Maybe you can get Bregman, although he's had a pretty bad year. Third base is such a wasteland this year. It's such a bad position. That's why I invested heavily in Joe Ram and Devers and Machado in all of my drafts, because I did not want to deal with this, with one of these guys hoping to emerge and being bad. So I think all of these guys could be dropped. If you're waiting for a third baseman to emerge, I think Hayes has the best upside. 
And Muncie, mm-hmm. maybe the All-Star break will do him good and taking some time off to heal because, once again, I also think he's playing hurt. But this is just tough, man, because if I knew your roster a little bit more, I could try to formulate a trade for you or figure something out. But if these are just guys that you're looking to drop and make moves with, I could see you dropping Votto or Morel for Kirilov. I could see you dropping either of those guys to pick up a better option. Same with Mancini and Hayes. So it's really up to you. I know that's not what you're looking for, but those are my recommendations at least. I think Carlson and Green you should hold on to. And I think Hayes is probably your best bet at third base. Muncy's looking really rough, but it's tough out there, man. Yep. And then moving on, I've got our final question from Little Piranha on the PL Discord. Um, this is a little bit mix of real life and fantasy baseball together. Uh, with us one month away from the MLB trade deadline, how do you handle this time of year in fantasy when there will be daily real life trade rumors? Does it cause you to trade away players or try to acquire players whose situation is expected to change? Or do you just ignore the noise and focus on the present? This is a great question. And also, thank you. This is the second question I believe you've asked us, Little Piranha. So thank you for listening and asking us questions because we love that and we love the support. This is a fantastic question. And I think this really matters if you're in an AL or NL only league where if someone might go to a different spot or go away from your team, like if you know the Reds are selling off their pitchers like Luis Castillo and Frankie Montas of the A's, if you know they might switch leagues, that's something I would look into. Like maybe try to pick them up knowing that maybe you can't pick them up in an AL NL only league until they become in that league. But maybe you're able to grab one of those guys and stash them away or get them for cheap in a trade. I don't know. It's, it's tough, but for me, I kind of just focus on the present. The one thing I really monitor close in saves only leagues to be specific is the closers that can get traded away and what team they'll go to if a closer already there is going to lose their job and if someone's going to lose a closer and who can emerge as the next closer from the team that traded away one. So I always try to hone in on that and see what's going on in that regard because the Marlins could trade away any of their relievers to somebody and get a package back. The White Sox could trade away any of the relievers and get a package back. So you can't really predict who's going where. You can listen to the rumors. You can follow it. It's always fun. I love trade deadline time. I love trading in fantasy baseball. I love trading for real-life baseball. But it's not something you can really benefit from besides AL and NL-only leagues. The only things that I would look at is the bullpen. That's the big thing that I can take away. And sure, some are better than others. Like if Frankie Montas all of a sudden goes to San Francisco, then yeah, that's incredible. If Luis Castillo goes from the worst ballpark in great american small park for the reds and he goes to somewhere like the dodgers i mean that's one of those changes that yeah that matters and you can maybe try to sell high on luis castillo if you roster him and get even more if it's rumored that he goes to the dodgers so you can play mind games you can feel out your league and see if people believe in the rumors and get more for your players if say a luis castillo is rumored to go to the dodgers or rumored to go to the mets or frankie montas is rumored to go to the giants something like that may give you a king's ransom for those type of players and then they might just not even go to those teams so you can always listen keep one ear on the streets and one eye on your team you know what i mean like keep it all in perspective but bullpen help if you need a closer that's where i think you'll see the biggest return yeah i think it's hard to use trade rumors as a way to get a trade across right uh, because it is something that's like pretty consequential for both managers in a league. And it's like, I I personally wouldn't want to trade for Luis Castillo right now because I don't know if he's going to be staying with the Reds for the rest of the season. Right. But on the flip side, I think this is a great time to yeah troll your waiver wire. There's definitely going to be setup men who are available in your league who might become closers all of a sudden. Um, and there's definitely, maybe there's a guy like Tyler Molly who's just, hanging around on your waiver wire because let's be honest he's not very good every other start because he plays in cincinnati yep um but say there's you know legitimate rumors that oh tyler molly is getting traded to the mets for example well then maybe that's your opportunity to act on that rumor maybe the trade hasn't happened yet but act on that rumor pick up tyler molly and if he doesn't get picked up just drop him right you didn't you didn't lose anything maybe you lost some fab to get him to pick him up but at the end of the day, that doesn't hurt your team uh, as much as maybe trading a guy who you thought was going to be going somewhere and ends up not going somewhere. Right. Try not to make it 
matter as much because you never know. Yep. But you could. Hey, take a feel for your league. I don't know your league. I know my leagues. I know what some people are into. I know that some people get excited if they hear, oh, this player might go to the Mets in my home league where a lot of people are Mets fans. So maybe you can get more value <laughs> for someone that might be heading towards the Mets. But it's all a feel for your league. If you think you can get a good deal because of a rumor, obviously take advantage of that. But the one real substantial thing is AL and NL only leagues because that can affect your league greatly if someone that wasn't in the AL goes to the AL and is a huge contributor that's a big pickup there and then also bullpens every year a closer gets traded away or a reliever gets traded away and they become the closer or a new person emerges as a closer so this is the time where if you need saves if you're behind in saves in a roto league you put bids out on people like Let's say Craig Kimbrell gets traded and he goes to a team that had a fringy closer. Now Craig Kimbrell's the closer on that team. It doesn't change his value. But then who becomes the closer after Craig Kimbrell? Like a Daniel Hudson. Now he becomes a top 10 closer just because one closer got traded away. So always keep an eye on that if you need bullpen help. I think that's the biggest thing for trade rumors is that if you hear, hey, this reliever might be traded away, look at who is the next in line and grab them in a speculative ad because that might actually Mm -hmm. help you with saves. Right. But yeah. Those are the questions. Thank you all so much, everybody, for sending these questions in. We always appreciate it. If we ever do more mailbag questions, we'll tweet out whenever we do them. We tweeted out this week, and no one responded on Twitter, but we did get two emails. We got a Discord message, so shout out to you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening, and thank you for submitting your questions because this is a big part. We do this show for you to help you win your leagues, to keep you up to date with all things fantasy baseball. So. If we can help you directly by answering your questions, we love that. And it's something that I take very much pride in. If one day someone says, hey, man, Lee and John are the reason why I won my league. And I'd be like, that's amazing. Like, I am so thankful for that. So hopefully we can aid you in that. And to aid you in this, we have streamers for this upcoming weekend. So, John, let them know which guys we recommend this weekend for streaming. Yeah. Starting on Saturday, we got Daniel Castano uh, of the Marlins. He's 2% rostering Yahoo. 1% 1% roster on ESPN. He's going against the Nationals. I'll be completely honest. I have no idea who Daniel Castano is. I just saw his name on roster resource. And I was like, that's a good matchup. <laughs> um, he started three times so far this year with mixed results. He had 6.2 shutout innings against the Phillies. Pretty good. Uh, considering they kept put up a 14 spot on Ian Anderson today. Uh, seven innings against the Mets where he only gave up two runs. But then he also had 3.1 runs against the Rockies away from Coors where he gave up four runs. Um, his main Achilles heel is that he just walks guys way too much. And he doesn't really strike batters out all that frequently. But hey, we're not looking for late aces when we stream. Just guys who have good matchups that might turn in something good. Um, and that's exactly what Daniel Castano is. On Sunday, we got Chad Cool. You already talked about him. Uh, the Rockies, he's 18% rostered on Yahoo, 90% rostered on ESPN. As we mentioned, he's going against the Diamondbacks. No need to rehash all that. But if you need a streamer and you like recency bias, Cool's your man. And then... We've got our first twofer uh, with Dane Dunning of the Rangers, who's 40% rostered on Yahoo, 8% rostered on ESPN, faces off against Dean Kramer of the Orioles, 8% rostered on Yahoo, 16, 6% rostered on ESPN. I think both these guys are worth a look at. Dane is probably the pitcher with the better floor, despite the inconsistency that we've seen this entire season. Um, he'll likely give you six innings on Monday. Plus, he gets to face the Orioles, who we should probably add aren't actually that bad. Right. But also, it's the Orioles. Um, on the other hand, D. Kramer has pitched three straight games without giving up a run. Is this luck? Probably. But sometimes <laughs> it just helps to be hot in baseball, and that's exactly what Dean Kramer is right now. So those are our four streamers for this weekend. Uh, but as we always say, stream only if you have to, um, and don't stream on Monday if you can avoid it. Uh, and that, that's kind of, yeah, that's that's our streamers. Yeah, I like Dane Dunning a lot. I'm a big fan of him. Even though he doesn't strike out a lot of guys, he's got back-to-back quality starts, and he's someone who has been regulating having a great start and then a terrible start and then a great start and a terrible start. And to see him put back-to-back good starts, I mean, granted, it's against the Nationals and the Royals. Right. Should have good starts against them. But, hey, he's against the Orioles, which they've been better as of recently. But still, Dane Dunning could walk his way into another quality start. And Dean Kramer Mm -hmm. also has been pretty good, too. So I love the recommendation of both them. Chad Cool, as we said, anyone coming off of a nine-inning complete game, over 100 pitches start, it's always risky because they might have a little bit of a hangover from that last start. So Mm -hmm. it could be bad, but the Diamondbacks are horrible. So there's not much to worry about. And Daniel Castano, hey, use him if you want. Versus the Nationals, Nationals are not good. I like it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But that wraps it up for the streamer recommendations for this week. And that wraps up this episode of the show. Before we go, make sure you follow this podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send your comments, questions, and concerns to us at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. If we ever do another mailbag episode of the show, your questions will go into it from the email, from Twitter, from the Discord. So make sure that you send through your questions. We're always willing to answer them. You can also find John on Twitter at TheJohnKuh. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can find myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed and follow this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else. Make sure you drop us a follow and please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. It'll show people that, hey, this show is worth listening to. It's got a five-star rating. I want to check that out as well. And last but not least, make sure that you sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcherless Discord where Little Piranha sent us the message for the question for this episode and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. Sign up for Pitcherless Plus. It's a great resource, but that is all for this week. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and we will be back next week recapping another week in fantasy baseball. For John, I am Lee. We'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.